Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everybody, welcome back. We're starting this week's episode off with a little bit of information about the Packer Max line of call to Packers. I picked up my standard unit uh, just the other day, and I drive a little—I call it a sorority girl car. It's it's what you imagine every college girl driving off to college with a, a GMC Terrain. So I didn't think I was going to be able to fit it in there, but went and picked it up. Had to undo one bolt, and that thing popped apart and fit right in the back of my terrain in two pieces. So I was super impressed with how light it is. But once I got it home, I got it back together. I realized it's actually a lot beefier than than I thought. I thought the standard unit might have been just a little lightweight. And really, I'm not even going to put a dent in that thing uh, with the way I use it. So... Pretty impressed that the plastic is a very hard resin, and uh, that's for the drum and the metal itself, um, a lot thicker than I thought and beefier than I thought it would be, like I said. So uh, I just want to let you guys know about that. We do get a discount for anybody who listens to the podcast. Just mention the Habitat podcast when you talk to Lincoln. It'll be 10% off, and that is at PackerMax.com, or uh, look Lincoln Roan up on Facebook and give him a call. Time to get those plots in, guys, and uh, make sure if you can afford to, use the Cult of Packer. It really made a difference, um, you know, the last couple of years I've been using one compared to the years before. So so I would have to recommend you check them out. Now, this episode, we are diving into something a little bit different. We are talking with a friend of mine I met one time a long time ago, Jim Strader. Jim is a local Michigan resident. And he has a farm 
that is mostly focused on pheasants. So upland bird habitat is what we're going to focus on today. Uh, it's a great, great discussion. I talked with him for another hour or so after we hung up, just, you know, BSing back and forth about uh, about wildlife in Michigan. And uh, I just, I learned a ton. This is something I don't know very much about. I'm not afraid to admit that. And, you know, I, uh, I learned a ton about CRP, upland birds, and also how deer can take advantage of uh a habitat like that and how your farm can be set up for for both uh, deer and upland birds to to reside on so without any further ado let's get right into it and this is jim strader everybody and welcome to the show sir oh thank you thank you for having me appreciate it you bet my first one <laughs> first podcast ever yes sir you know no all right well that's mm-hmm. awesome I've, I've only done a couple so i'm not very yeah, proud of you uh you're a pro then so. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I appreciate you making time uh, and coming on here. We're going to do something a little bit different tonight, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, we're going to talk about upland bird habitat, pheasant habitat, etc., which is something we haven't dove into yet on the show. Um, and you are probably, you're the guy who I know who knows the most about it. So I figured I'd reach out to you and and see what you got to say. But before we get into that, we kind of like to start off with um, finding out who you are and where you're from and, you know, just give us a, a good background, you know, family, occupation, whatever you want, um, just so we can kind of, you know, paint a picture, yeah. as I always say. So. Yep, yep. Well, my name's uh, Jim Strader, and, and uh, I live in all of that. And I, was, I was born in the big city of Flint, um, Back in a uh, long time ago, back in '68, uh, so uh, been been around a few years. Um, but uh, my dad bought a farm down in Olivet when I was five in 1973, and it was um, 262 acres. Okay. Um, it uh, my brother has added uh, a 13 acre, a little uh, square, a little pie piece to it. Uh, so we got 280 now. Um, and it's all one uh, one chunk, um, you know. Which there's uh, there's several farmers around here that own more than us, you know, okay. a lot more than us. But uh, but not there's a very many big chunks like this. And um, when Dad bought it, it was uh, basically wide open farm ground, and um, you know he farmed it. And like I said, it was in the early it was '73, early '70s, and there was there was a few pheasants when Dad bought the farm. There was a few pheasants around him. Okay. And um, because of uh, the way he um, he farmed, uh, uh, meaning that uh, we had we we've always had beef cattle, we've never had dairy, and so he was always able to let first cutting go um, a little bit longer. And um, somehow a few pheasants kept pulling off a nest here and there, and so we always had a few pheasants around. Um, so. Okay, so you you guys came from Flint. What made you move down to, uh, for everybody that doesn't know, Olivet is south of Lansing, Michigan, central Michigan. Um, and and what made you guys move out of Flint and come down here? Well, Dad just wanted a, um, he just wanted a bigger farm. And okay. he wanted to farm, you know, more. Uh, he had a, a small farm uh, over by uh, Grand Blank. Oh, yeah, okay. And, um, so uh, he worked in the car factory and for Chevrolet and Flint, yeah. and um, um, 
just uh you know moved uh wanted to beggar farm and moved down here and and uh he was kind of living his dream and and uh so luckily for us uh you know uh all these years later he uh he, <laughs> i don't even know how he did it you know i mean back in the 70s you know them guys working for gm you know they weren't making what they're you know making today you know and i mean he literally bought this farm he was making that was 73 but he was making six dollars and fifty cents an hour oh my goodness and bought a 262-acre farm for $88,000. And, and I've kind of added it all up, but I'm thinking, and, and I've told him this, uh, what were you thinking? <laughs> I'm like, you're going to pay for this. And he says, I don't know. I just. <laughs> just did it. Yeah, you know, just just did it, you know, and um, you know, and there was some money in farming, and and he did okay, and and like I said, he worked at GM, you know, to to, to uh, support the farm, and good thing he did. Um, you know, there was certainly quite a few lean years in there. Oh, I'm sure, um, yeah. But um, and you guys farmed mostly cattle, you said. It was a beef operation, yep, and so we raised uh, a lot of hay out here, and um, there's 110 acres of uh, of permanent pasture. And then the rest is uh, pretty much, uh, you know, was open, you know, wide open farm ground. Okay. And so that, uh, you know, and farmed it from uh, from the road to all the way to the wood neighbors' woods. Um, you know, there's there's probably only about about ten acres of woods on this whole farm. Is so, there really still today? Yeah. Even today, there's uh, well, there's a little bit more because of the trees and shrubs we've planted, uh, but not a lot more. Um, probably only about uh, maybe 20, 25 acres of woods and brush on this whole farm. So, um, but uh, in 2001 is when um, soybeans and corn. <laughs> anybody that's a farmer would tell you soybeans were three dollars and corn was a dollar and a quarter. And my brother and my dad were were farming. I was I was already, I went to work for um, the Lansing Board of Water and Light, and so I was a welder up there. And I had better things to do with my money than Soto Ant Farm. So <laughs> I uh, I uh, bought a house and and kind of moved off the farm. But my dad and my brother, uh, you know, they were trying to farm, and my brother and he's like, I I can't I can't keep doing this. So in 2001 is when we farm when we signed. The whole farm, except for 110 acres, so you know about uh, about 150 some acres um, into the conservation reserve program. And oh, CRP. So, oh, yeah, little CRP, and we planted uh, about uh, 15,000 trees and shrubs that first year. Holy and cow! So, you know. And I rode that tree planter from daylight to dark for two days. So you guys and had I, to plant them then. There's no assistance yeah. in planting. Nope, nope. They uh, they'll they cost shared the trees, and then they told us what we could plant, and then um, and then they um, I made up a plan. Um, Laura Larson was a girl that was uh, up at the ag office then, and and I had been involved with Pheasants Forever. Um, actually, I'm one of the founding members for Pheasants Forever here in Eaton County. And I, um, so I had a pretty good idea on what I wanted things to, to look like because I, I knew, I knew, uh, I knew however we built our, I, I built it for the pheasants, but I knew the deer would come. Okay. And, uh, so I wanted it to be the best that it could be for my birds. And then the deer would just adapt to it, which they've done awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to have to get into that at some point. I mean, you guys 
knock down some straight up Michigan studs out there. Um, I'm curious to know how you knew what you were doing when you're making it into the CRP, and or, or you said you know you're one of the founders of Fences Forever in Eaton County. How'd you how'd you get started in that? How'd you know what you were looking for, what you wanted your farm to look like? You know, like like who who taught you that, or, or how'd you get into to knowing all that? Well, I'd hunted out west a couple of times, okay. and I'd seen you know huge CRP fields out there. And, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't working with square miles, you know, but, um, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, 280 acres, uh, you know, with 150 some, you know, and, and the CRP, that was, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot to, it was a lot, you know, for Michigan. So, um, I just knew that, uh, you know, the pheasants need, uh, a lot of nesting, a lot of, as much unbroken, you know, uh, habitat as possible. And what I mean by that is, is the largest fields, um, unbroken, no, no paths mowed in them, you know, uh, just, just the bigger field, the biggest chunks of grassland you can make. And what that does is makes it difficult for the coons and the possums and skunks to, okay. uh, to hunt and, and uh, find a nest. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and cause a lot of people blame, um, the, uh, decline of the, uh, pheasants on coyotes. Um, Actually, um, studies um, done by uh, uh, Delta Waterfowl. I couldn't think of uh, Delta Waterfowl has done some studies where they've actually had areas that uh, where there's a high coyote population and a very high pheasant population because the coyotes were eating the skunks and the possums and the and the, and the coons. Okay, and and a coyote is a great fawn killer. When it comes to your deer herd, you don't want a coyote. But on the other hand, if you had a lot of pheasants, you, you know, a coyote could be your friend. Um, it's a double-edged sword. Um, wow. Uh, I don't hear that very much. Yeah. yeah. A fox is actually more of a pheasant killer than uh, than a coyote. A coyote is just not that stealthy. He's, he's a great fawn killer. He's going to kill your fawns. Believe me, I don't, I don't want them around any more than anything else. But... If it came down to it, I'd, I'd almost rather have a coyote if I was only had dozens. Um, cause he's, like I said, he's gonna kill. I don't, I'm not gonna have to trap. And I trap this farm pretty hard. Um, just as long as I can. And, okay. And, um, Jim, real quick, are you, are you hearing a little bit more echo on your end? Did, you, did anything change on your end? I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. Uh, nope. I didn't, I can hear you fine. I wasn't hearing any echo at all. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. I just wanna make sure we're all good here. Perfect. All right, sorry, okay. you were talking about um, uh, trapping your farm hard. Keep it up. Yep, just, you know, I just trap and trap it and a lot and, and just get as many coons and possums and skunks as I can out of here and then try and create, you know, a, a window of opportunity for my hen pheasants to pull off that nest. And because, you know, it just like uh, anything, you know, what I've done by trapping all these animals out of here is creating a vacuum and it'll fill up quickly. But yeah. if I can, if I can, if I can make that void about 30 to 45 days through my nesting season and get these chicks, you know, which my brother, I haven't been around the farm much this, uh, this last few weeks, but my brother has told me that he has seen a couple of broods out here, and one hen appears that she's got about nine with her, and another hen looks like she's got about a dozen. 
So, um, so and, doing something right there. Yep, yep. So we got a few, got a few pheasants, you know. And um, now we're down to about 90 acres of CRP. Um, my brother and dad uh, ramped uh, the beef operation back up, and they pulled around 60 acres back out and uh, to put some hay ground in here in. And uh, so they wouldn't have to, you know, go so far to, to put up hay. And so we lost, uh, you know, basically 60 acres of cover back here. And we went from, you know, killing in the high 30s, low 40s of, you know, numbers of, you know, of roosters every year. And the last few years we've killed a dozen or 15. Um, but we also don't hunt it real hard. Um, uh some of the guys that I hunt with, uh, we've, we've been going out west to South Dakota and North Dakota and kind of getting our pheasant picks out there and, and, um, and just kind of, and hunt it kind of lightly. Um, you know, with a lot of the big bucks around here, um, there's areas on the farm that we don't hunt at all. Okay. And, and um, I mean, as far as pheasant hunt, I'll hunt up along the edge of the roads and everything and, uh, along, you know, Cochran, along Butterfield and then, but I'm off the outside edge, and I just, if I bump deer, mostly they run to the interior of the farm. No, so. yeah, that's a good point. So you're you're kind of mentioning how the, the deer love your, your habitat. Now, you, you were shooting 35 to 40 roosters, wild Michigan pheasants off your property each year? Yes. Wow. Each year. Wow. Yeah. And actually, um, the first few years, uh, we had a really good quail population here. Uh, the quail actually um responded to that first few years that that uh early you know um uh, crp uh better than the pheasants did uh they they just exploded we uh at one time we we had about six or seven different coveys of quail on the farm and they're really cool them them little quail are just awesome they they had little addresses we'd give the coveys names and i because they're always right around, they're right in a certain area. They're, okay. they're every, you know, we'd have, uh, we got an old corral that we used to, you know, have the cattle in, and, and we had the corral cubby, and, and there was a hickory tree over there, and the one fence row that Dad took out, and he left this hickory tree, and, and there was a hickory tree cubby, you know, and then yeah, the neighbor lived across the road, and, and uh, uh, cubby used to come up in his yard and uh, chase grasshoppers and crickets, and so that was Dewey's cubby. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that, you know, it's, it's really neat. And so, but unfortunately, the, you know, we are in the northern, extreme northern, uh, range of the quail habitat. And we had a couple of ice storms and a couple of, uh, bad, you know, three foot of snow there five, six years ago. And unfortunately, uh, kind of wiped our quail out. I've, I've heard one or two since then, but, but we haven't had any populations like that. So. Okay. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I know. Um, I I don't see wild pheasants very often in in Michigan. Uh, quail we tend to see a little bit more up north in northern Michigan, where they do all the clear cutting and have a bunch of good habitat for them up there. Uh, but uh, now, like, oh, those are rough grouse. Oh, rough grouse. I'm rough, sorry. Rough grouse. Oh, yeah, okay. No, no, that's rough grouse. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely new to all this stuff. So bear yeah, with me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. little bob white quail. Yep, or, yep. And we got the little white band on the they're head. They're a lot smaller little, then, right? The quail. Oh, yeah. Yep. They're, okay. They're about the size of a baseball. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm definitely yep. thinking of the yep. wrong one then. Okay. Yep. 
they're little buzz bombs. They're they're so cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you guys even hit those with a shotgun. That's I could barely hit a mallard. Well, um, yeah, they're 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 quite a challenge. They're 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 quite a challenge. So you know. well, the fact that you guys are shooting or we're shooting thirty five to forty, and you're still getting over a dozen. Um, that's that's pretty impressive. Do you know, or could you maybe inform us and the listeners on what happened to the habitat for um, the pheasants and why the pheasant population really took a dive? For those well, who don't it know. That, it was just that 60 acres of nesting cover. Um, or, you know, n- not it, so it, much years in particular, but like across the state of Michigan or maybe. Oh, just uh, across the state? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's. Uh, there's okay. There's a farm down the road here, and, and um, when we put our farm in the CRP, uh, uh, the gentleman that I was talking to, you know, he said, "Ah, right, you guys got some pheasants up there," and, and uh, I've heard you guys had some pheasants. I said, "Yeah." I said, um, and he says, "Well, yeah." He says, "Uh, you know, we used to have pheasants around here." He said, "But you know, you know, there isn't any more." And he says, "I don't understand it. You know, nothing's changed." I said, "Really?" I said, uh, I don't mention his name, but you know, I said, I said, really, there's, there's a, uh, you know, uh, no pheasants, in, but nothing's changed. I said, really, I said, now when I was little, I said, uh, I vaguely remember being on the school bus. I said, wasn't there a fence row right here? He says, oh yeah, yeah, there, there was a fence row here, and and he said, actually, uh, there was uh, a couple fence rows, and right through there. And I said, well, I said, now that low spot out there, I said that. Where that where that tile comes to the surface right there to take off surface water. I said, "What was that?" And he goes, "Oh, that used to be a huge cattail swamp. It used to be huge." And he says, it, it, "It was four or five acres." That's really. I said, uh, and he said, "Yeah." And he says, "And there was you know a corner over there that kind of buttered up to to that other fence row." And he says, "So you know there was a big corner over there." I said, "I said that that uh, you know what your dad didn't mess with that." And he goes, "No, dad didn't dad didn't farm that corner." So here's three or four acres, you know, of weeds, you know, that uh, he didn't farm next to five acres of cattails, yep. you know, with fence rows. It was an 80-acre farm. And at one time, um, I looked on one of the old maps, and there was, I don't even know how many fence rows, six or eight fence rows, and there wasn't a, wasn't a field on that 80-acre farm. There was one field that was probably 20 acres, and the rest were all five and 10-acre fields. And lots of fence rows. Yes. And now it's one wide open eighty acre farm. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so you went from having all this habitat, you know, and guys back in the day, you know, because when even uh, up in the school, you know, I mean guys my dad coon hunted. We coon hunted here. We had dogs, we had hounds and guys trapped and so they kept the coons and the and the possums and, and stuff like that in check. And uh, or at least turned down, and so these it, it allowed a pheasant to, to even nest in poor habitat, but still pull off a nest. And now that poor habitat isn't even there, and now there's coons and possums everywhere because there's no fur price. You know, they're not worth anything. So, um, but you had the soil bank days back in the '60s and '70s, and then uh, about '87 is when the CRP. Um, kind of came in, and they would sign these farms up, you know, for a few years, and then they would take them out, and that allowed um, a few pheasants. But you know, but back in the '60s and '70s, you know, um, up in the thumb especially, um, you know, Michigan used to kill a million pheasants a year. 
Oh wow! And, and oh yeah, Michigan was ranked right up there with South Dakota, North Dakota. I mean, I it didn't was, know that. It was, it was a great state, you know, to pedal on in. And, and the DNR is, is really, is the, is, uh, is, they're really pushing this pheasant initiative. And, um, it's a lot of work up in the thumb. And, uh, but it does come down into, um, not Jackson County so much, but, uh, uh, certainly Ingham and, uh, a little bit in Eaton, uh, a lot in Clinton and then, and then Shiawassee and going up into the thumb, you know, and, uh, so there, there's a big push to, you know, to bring a lot of the pheasants back. And, and uh, well, I take that back. Jackson County, uh, there's a state game area down there. They're really trying to, uh, if what I've heard is true, there, there's a lot of autumn olives, and they're trying to take that out and reestablish grasslands. Okay, that's, great. That's what, that's what the pheasants need. They need big grass fields to to go out there and hide that nest in, and then they need a lot of uh, bugs and everything for them baby chicks to eat and uh, when they hatch. and, and so. Okay, now I'm going to um, jump around a little bit here. When, when you're talking like pheasant habitat, what exactly is pheasant habitat? And, and maybe, you know, we talk a lot about whitetail habitat on the show here, but... Um, I'd be interested to hear what the difference is and maybe what defines upland bird habitat or pheasant habitat and, uh, you know, maybe some of the things they have in common and, and whatnot. Pheasant habitat is just, just open grass fields. They're, they're, uh, they're an open, you know, uh, grassland, you know, bird. Uh, it's the, uh, pheasants are the best thing we've ever imported from China. <laughs> um, you know, a, a lot of people don't know that uh, that uh, that they're they're non-native species. Uh, but like I said, they are they are the best thing we've ever imported from China. Um, uh, and in the right habitat, with with the uh, you know the right uh, uh, spring and everything, the, uh, the the hatching success can be awesome. I mean, they'll they'll hatch. You know, the largest brood I've ever seen here on the farm was uh, she had seventeen with her. Wow. Um, un- unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, and that was back in the day when, when we were actually uh, farming pretty hard uh, um, before the CRP even. So, like I said, we would wait, uh, you know, until uh, quite late to uh, put up first cutting because Dad always wanted uh, quantity versus quality, you know, because they're going to eat that before they – they're going to eat that old rank hay before they eat a snowball. So, And, and um, what do you mean when you say first cutting for those who might not know? Well, hay fields, uh, you, you get, uh, generally three, sometimes four cuttings a year. So, um, with a lot of the new alfalfa and, and stuff like that, uh, you're, you're cutting a lot earlier. Whereas back in the soil bank days, and even, even back when, like I said, when the gentleman down the road here, uh, had a farm, uh, you know, that was all chopped up and, and he had a hay field. Well, it was mostly grass. So they would wait until the grass was quite tall and mature. Well, that would, be quite late into the spring. Well, generally by then the pheasant she'd already hatched her nest, and and the chicks were mobile enough to to get out away from you know yeah. a, a cutter a cutter bar, and, and there was no hay bind back then. I mean the the disc bind my brothers got would it'd suck a hand right up off her nest now and and kill her. And whereas at least a cutter bar then might just kind of go over. I mean I'm Sure, they probably still killed some, but uh, generally by then, though they were they were done nesting. So okay, so the the pheasants will will nest in a 
a big old hay field as well. And then if oh, you yeah. if you let the hay get tall enough or wait long enough to when the nesting is done before you harvest, you you do a lot more for the pheasant than if you cut early yeah. where you could yeah. possibly kill them or, or get yeah. up the nest. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. They do they do make uh, flushing bars. They'll have a uh, a bar welded out in front of uh, the hay mine, this mine, and then they'll have a chain. So it's kind of it's kind of a it's you know kind of moves the grass and stuff. It'll flush the hen. They call it, so call it a flushing bar. Okay. It'll flush her off the nest. So at least you don't kill her. You might run over the nest, but at least you don't kill her. And then she can go and and re they'll re nest. They'll they'll try and pull off a nest. Uh, you know, two or three times if, if they can. Okay. And then, uh, and then finally they'll they'll give up if they don't pull one off successfully. Wow, okay. Um, and what is the difference between, like, um, I want to get back to the, how it relates to deer habitat, but what's the difference between, like, a nesting cover and and a winter cover you mentioned before? And, and are there any other types of cover that um, one would be concerned about? Uh, your nesting cover is going to be more of a, uh, you, you want to walk out into a, a nesting cover field and, and look down and, and be able to see a little bit of dirt um, okay. and amongst all the, all the weeds and stuff. And, and you don't want it too thick. And, and, thick. and what that does is, is, is you get down on your hands and knees and look around and, and you want to be able to see, you know, down, in, you know, down around those um, plants and weeds and stuff. And, and that open dirt down there is going to allow that baby, you know, pheasant to run around in, in there and catch bugs. And whereas if it's too thick and you've just got a mat of grass, you know, when you're born and you're only two and a half inches tall, you know, three inches, you know, it's kind of hard to, to get around in there. True. And, and they just they just can't get around. They can't follow their mom, um, which honestly that's part of the problem with this farm here. We've we burn. But we really need to um, work the soil up, and, and that's probably one of the things that we're going to do some major habitat renovation uh, this next spring on this farm. Okay. And, um, now, winter cover would be more of what some of the deer guys are familiar with is, is switchgrass. And there we have 18 acres of switchgrass on Ooh, this farm. Very nice. And, you know, and there's three six-acre fields, and the reason that there's that is because like I was telling you, I set it up for pheasants and I knew the deer would come, but so this farm's on a three year rotation to burn and I can burn off one field and still leave two standing to give my birds a place to go. Um, but, uh, nesting cover is, is, you know, a good heavy thick field of, of switchgrass. Um, and, uh, it, it can be, you know, cattails. Actually, cattails are, are, the best um, winter cover for uh, for pheasants, but this farm, like I'm saying, it, it, there's no cattails here. <laughs> there's there's hardly any swamps. Uh, right. Um, so uh, well, the nesting cover. Yeah. In the, it's pretty cool that they'll they'll use cattails. I never thought they even use cattails. I, mean, I I obviously don't know very much about this subject, but it's. Um, I thought maybe that would be too wet or, um, you know, stuff like that. But I guess if it's along the edge, it's it's still dry yet, right? Well, in the winter is when they'll okay. use the cattails. So, okay. you know, everything everything freezes over, and then they can still go in there, you know, and they'll get down in their cattails, and, and uh, there's a, um, 
it's 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 a good good thermal you know winter cover and it's just it's actually as good or better than than switchgrass and and uh you know one of my neighbors over here he actually does have um still a really good size um cattail you know swamp on his farm and and then uh there is a crp um another farm that another guy owns just down the road from it and and uh you'll see the birds you know that they'll spend you know the nights over there in this cattail swamp and then they'll fly back across the road into this guy's um crp and he's got this food plot over here so they're eating corn over here and then spending the night over there in them cattails and so those pheasants are pretty happy <laughs> wow and you guys see them flying in the mornings when they're, they're coming back yeah. Yep. Generally, what they'll do is they'll 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 feed in the morning, and then they'll uh, you know go to loafing cover. Which uh, when we planted a lot of these uh, trees and shrubs, we planted them in fence row um, type habitat, and that's that's you know you know just like the fence rows that were in the neighbors' farm down here. Lots where the birds spent you know uh, the day is uh, they would they would eat, and then they'd move into the fence rows. And then they had that overhead cover, you know, uh, gray dogwood, uh, you know, any kind of a brush, you know, and that kind of that overhead cover that you know, would protect them from the hawks and stuff. And uh, they were hunting during the day. And then in the evening, they'll go back out to feed, and then they'll fly to wherever they're going to spend the night, you know, the cattail, you know, swamp in the winter or in the uh, in the Summer and fall, they'll they'll uh, roost in you know in a in a nesting cover field, you know a hay field. Um, so okay, so there's there's nesting cover, there's loafing cover, and there's winter cover. But yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> but yep, your birds, your your uh, pheasants need a lot of lot of a uh, lot of stuff to uh, keep them happy. <laughs> so and and food plots for our our. You know, our food plots here double um, for our pheasants and our, and our deer. And, uh, you know, we had some friends of ours that said, well, if you plant it this long and linear, then you could hunt it a lot easier for pheasants. And we're like, well, yeah, and so can a predator. He, you know, a fox True. can too. And uh, he can hunt it easier. And then uh, and then our deer would, would uh, um, target, you know, it, they would probably do more damage. You know, and if it was like that. So we, I, um, plus the way the farm was laid out when I, when, uh, my brother was farming, you know, so we have big square stew plots and, and, uh, so I know that may not be ideal for deer, but they're still there. So, but a big, uh, you know, a couple acres of corn staying in one spot, you know, um, and, and, uh, you know, so you get your pheasants coming in there and eating. And they'll, they'll compete for food. The rooster and the hen will compete for food. And and he's going to win. You know, you're talking, he's he's four or five pound rooster and she's a two pound hen. And he has spurs and she doesn't. So if you make this big food plot, then she can go somewhere else and eat, you know, if he wants okay. to get a jerk and, and uh, you know, kind of run. Well, and that's the other thing, too. Uh, um, a lot of guys worry about killing, you know, killing all the roosters are killing too many. I, I, I'm like, I mean, when do you stop, you know, killing roosters? I said, I stopped killing roosters on January 1st when the <laughs> season ends. Um, I, I, I kill every rooster I can. Um, I don't, I'm not worried about it. I only need just a few roosters. Right. I only need one rooster. One rooster can service a lot of hens. Right. And, uh, and I only need one. Um, 
and even out in Iowa, you know, South Dakota, where you hunt, where they hunt three, four months of the year, um, they still only kill, you know, 60% of the roosters. And, you know, so in the spring, like this spring, you know, I, I looked out here and there's three roosters standing here behind the house. And, um, I was like, well, crap, there's two roosters I could have shot. <laughs> Ball. <laughs> um, that's the way I look at it. I just, uh, you're, you're, you're not, you can't stockpile pheasants. It's just not going to happen. So, well, it's interesting um, because you, what you're, what you're preaching, you've, is from past experience. I mean, you've killed 35 to 40 and then you do it again the next year. It's like, you're, you're yeah. not, you're not putting a dent in the roosters. I mean, no. And, no. and uh, sure. the, breed, the breeding hens are, are all still there and happy, and they're not getting kicked off oh. and everything like oh, that. Oh, exactly. So. Yeah. She's in that food plot eating her fill every night yep. and then going to bed. So she's putting on a lot of weight, or at least keeping weight through the winter, which puts her in the spring in great shape. So she's got all this extra body fat on her, which in turn she creates and lays more eggs. And, um, you know, and she's not... You know, so she doesn't have to move around much. You know, she's gotcha. everything. I, everything she needs is right here. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I don't. I don't need a lot of roosters. I only need. I only need a couple of them guys left around here. So, you know, you, and it's it's a lot of fun following a, a pointing dog or a or a lab or you know, flushing dog through the through the field and and uh, hearing that cackle and you know, seeing that big colorful bird come up out of the, out of the grass. It's, Pretty good rush. So. No, I I actually did um, my first uh, I don't know what you would call it like a, a put put and take or you, you put the birds out um, kind of out in the cages out and you yeah. and you let the dogs work. I mean, they're pheasants yep. we bought from an Amish farm. Um, yep. I did my first first hunt with that in uh, December last year and got the coolest part was watching the dogs work. I mean. The dogs didn't know we put them out there, so right. it was very cool right. to watch them uh, work around and and point. And we we're trying to train some of the younger ones. And oh, it's great training! It was, yeah, it's it great was very training, cool. Like that, it's uh, definitely awesome, awesome training. You know, for a young dog like that. And um, we allow um, uh, guys with young dogs. Um, I got a couple friends. You know, it's like we, we'll uh, we'll let some friends and stuff come and run young dogs here. Um, we don't. Uh, we don't like my my lab. Uh, you know, I don't go out and, and run her um, out there, and because uh, you don't educate them birds, and birds get wily. <laughs> oh, really? They uh, they uh, they're smart. They uh, like anything else, huh? Yeah, you know they they uh, they'll run. Them 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 pheasants definitely like to run, so uh, they're they're made for it. So, but okay, very nice. I uh, I'm learning a ton here. Um, now when you, we're, we're talking about cover that I believe winter cover was what your deer will use as well. Um, is that strictly switchgrass or it sounds like food plots double for the pheasants as well. What, what on your farm is working for both deer and pheasants? I have to say the switchgrass. Okay. Yeah, Switchgrass is definitely uh um it's definitely holding deer. Um, you know, I've seen uh, the deer, you know, laying down in it and, and uh well, you know, in January first is uh I mentioned a minute ago, is uh is the last day of pheasant season. 
and we have a big pheasant hunt here on our farm. We write, uh, you know, quite a few of our, of our friends and, uh, and some family and, and we have, and we'll, we'll, we don't hunt these switchgrass fields, um, any other time of the year, but we'll hunt oh. them on the last day of pheasant season. And, you know, muzzleloader season's over, uh, deer season's pretty much over, yep, you know, the there might be like ghost season or something. Yep. So, so, uh, you know, we're not really worried about, you know, jumping bucks at, at that time. And we will, we'll go in and, and we'll hunt these pheasants, uh, or these, uh, switchgrass fields and, and, um, and we, and, and we will, we'll jump, you know, deer and, uh, deer will come pouring out of them and, and, uh, you know, pheasants and so everything, everything's holed up in these, in these fields. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, when we planted, now that was the first year that we planted in 2001, we planted 15,000 trees and shrubs. Well, oh, the next wow. year, we planted 10,000 more, and we planted uh, four years, five years ago when we re-upped in the CRP. Like I said, my dad brother took about 60 out, but we we planted another 5,000 then. So we probably planted about 30,000 trees and shrubs on this farm in, oh my in goodness. Uh, since wow. 2001. So, um, and, and what it is uh, out in the middle um, there's about a seven acre chunk and that, uh, we planted all them trees and shrubs out there. And, and, uh, that is what we call it. That's our sanctuary for our deer. And now a few years ago, um, when we had that three foot of snow that when, when we lost the last of our quail, I believe, um, you know, these, these, uh, switchgrass fields were just snowed over. There was, you know, there was just way too much, you know, they, they couldn't, you know, they were just, they see the snow out there. Well, that's where our birds went was into that sanctuary. So you okay. had a lot of pine, a lot of pine trees, uh, a lot of, uh, the shrubs, you know, that, and so our birds were able to, uh, um, you know, go in there and when the snow was too deep for them to, you know, get into the switchgrass and they would, they went into that sanctuary and, and they, um, they made it through the winter and they're pretty good. So, and they could actually, uh, I saw them, you know, they would, they would walk out of there because there's, one side of the sanctuary has a food plot planted right up next to it. And they would basically just walk right out on top of the snow, walk right up to an ear of corn, you know, so that's how deep the snow was. You know, oh they could goodness. eat that ear of corn right there level with that snow. And but like I said, there was corn right there. So they still got, you know, a, a good food source and 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 pretty good cover. So our birds came through the winter in, in really good shape. So we're obviously happy about that. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's really, it seems like there's a lot that overlaps. Um, corn, food plots, thickets, and switchgrass. I mean, all of that is awesome for deer. It sounds like your pheasants are just just as happy out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and in the, the switchgrass and, and like I said, this the sanctuary over here is is uh, it's all great, great fawn cover too. Okay. I mean, uh, um, these hay fields, you know, a lot, a lot of farmers will tell you, um, you know, they'll uh, unfortunately uh, run over, you know, these fawns in these hay fields when they're when they're cutting them, and uh, and it happens here too with my dad and my brother, and you know, it's not something you, you enjoy, you know, but it happens, and and so there's a lot of fawns out here too. There's, there's just it's great fawn cover. Um, they can they can hide these these fawns out in these big fields and 
and it makes it really hard for a coyote to to find them. So there's uh there's the advantage to uh to that too. So wow. No, I've always heard. Um, I don't know where I heard it. A long time ago, somebody asked, "What's the best type of a deer habitat if you could if you could pick and you could hunt somewhere?" And I don't remember who said it, but somebody said upland game habitat, upland bird habitat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I never really knew why. I just I I stuck with that opinion, and now I I really understand why. Um, yeah, I hunted in college. I hunted. Uh, right next to a, a guy's farm who had, I don't know, I bet it was an 80-acre CRP field, and we could hunt the property next to it. And we you know, shimmy up these trees and get way up there. And I mean, all you could see during the rut was just bucks running around in that stuff. And all you could see was a wreck because the grass was so tall, but there were deer <laughs> everywhere yeah. out there in the middle of the day. I mean, it didn't matter. They were just such good cover. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great cover for, for deer. They they love it and and uh, you'll notice on the um, on all three of these switchgrass fields of ours on the uh, prevailing wind on the downwind side of it <laughs> there's like paths and what that is is during the rut these bucks cruise that switchgrass just downwind of it checking it because it's a bedding area yeah. and the does lay out there in that switchgrass and so these bucks cruise you know, and the downwind side and check these switchgrass fields for does. I've I've watched him do it and I can't even tell you how many times. Wow. And, and that's why there's a path, literally a path on the downwind on the prevailing wind on the downwind side. It is it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so you know. Uh, no, it just goes to show, I mean, deer that's where they traveled during during those times is downwind of a bedding area and I would hope that you have a couple of tree stands nearby at least. Well, um, as I said, this this farm's pretty wide open. There's there's not a lot of uh tree stands tree stand options on this farm. Okay. <laughs> and uh I've got a couple stands, you know, in in uh in a couple places, uh but um I don't uh, I don't bow hunt a lot. Um okay. I've uh I mostly uh um, I mo- we mostly gun hunt. I do, I do bow hunt some. I shouldn't say, you know, um, but I, uh, I try to, uh, like I'll go out early in early October and, and, and that's generally when I like to shoot at least one doe. Okay. And, well, no, that, that sounds great. And, you know, I mean, you can't do it all. There's not enough time in the day, but like I, I want to, um, kind of talk about how you hunt your farm here in a few minutes, but first, back to the, the switchgrass, um, you have three six-acre fields, and we really haven't touched on switchgrass too much on the podcast. Um, I know a lot of guys swear by it, um, and I'd love to learn how to put it in sometime, but you do something where you you said you burn one of your fields Every year, I believe, you're on a three-year rotation, mm-hmm. what somebody would call what I believe is a prescribed burn or prescribed fire. Is that correct? Yeah. That is correct, yeah. Okay. And yeah. can you explain what that is, what that does for your switchgrass? Yeah. It, uh, after a while, the switchgrass, as I was saying earlier, um, it, there gets to be a point where there's just too much on the ground for 
for your baby baby pheasants and stuff to get through. Okay. Yeah. And and it'll actually you know kind of uh, you know some people will say that it gets so thick and and then you'll have so much trash you know you know the old switchgrass on top that you'll start it'll start killing itself out and. So what you want to do is you want to go in there and burn that. Well, like uh, just the other day, I, I you know, had the uh, bush hog on the tractor, and I went around, and I now I'm, you know, this time of year is when I start working on fire breaks for next spring's burn. Um, oh, really? Because I want, I, want to get that, I want to get that fire break, you know, mowed down, and, and I want to get it as much, you know, fuel out of that, you know, fire break as I can. And so I'll, I, like I said, I, I mowed all my fire breaks for everything that we're going to burn, you know, next spring, um, about a week ago. And I'll, and I'll mow them continuously between now and, and fall. And those make great runways for the deer too. They just run up enough fire breaks. And, uh, so I've got a couple of spots where, um, I can set up a little pop-up blind on, uh, on an area that you know, on one of those fire breaks, but I also kind of strategically set it up where I can see a lot of ground. And so when they're running those fire breaks, they're going to come, you know, fairly close to me. I like to, you know, you got to be able to see them coming. But it's also so I can, I watch about as much as anything. And I just kind of sit in there and, and go, okay, well, that's where I saw that buck at. Okay, <laughs> so, I got you. And uh, so I might might uh move um you know sometimes i'll just go out and and uh I'll, you know obviously stay on the downwind side and i'll i'll just slide into a uh one of these fence rows or something like that and and i'll just you know tuck myself into you know up against a, a pine tree or something you know and just kind of stand there you know and just just to see what i see yeah <laughs> And, and that fire break, that the purpose for that is when you do burn in the spring, your fire doesn't get out of control, or if it goes and you're not, it, it'll burn up to that edge, right? So you right. you, yep. you cut yep. all the, the fuel, you cut all the dead grass, yep. which you refer to as fuel, and then you let the, so you go all the way around the field then, make fire break all the way around? Yeah, um, I don't have to so much anymore because um, my brother's farming, like I said, these three different three different fields, um, and so I've got, you know, uh, uh, corn stubble on one side. Uh, last year, I, I had corn stubble on one side, so I had to mow the other side, uh, and we were able to burn uh, about uh, 25 acres and, and just burned it, and I didn't have to have to worry about it going anywhere. Um, wow. And you've always got to pay attention to the wind and stuff. And um, Well, the switchgrass, uh, now when you get into that, uh, there's – a uh, big, big field of it. Uh, well, the six-acre field right behind the house. There's a big hill, as I meant to say. There's a big hill there, and you get a little, well when you burn this stuff. It'll you'll start out with a calm day, and, and then it'll just create its own wind, and it'll, and really? it'll that heat going up, and it'll you know, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty exciting sometimes watching that stuff burn. I'm a pirate. <laughs> I love I love to watch this stuff burn. Just, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Yeah. I always played with fireworks as a kid, so I I don't know if that what that means, but yeah, I'm a pyro too, yeah. I guess. Well, I burned out a barn when I was a kid, so. Oh wow! Well, we, yeah. we need to hear that story. <laughs> well, I was playing fireman when I was about ten, and. It was a big old hip-roof barn. I mean, one of the old old style barns put together with pegs and you know old homemade nails and and 
it was falling down. Dad, Dad said later, you know, it's a good thing it probably burned down. It would have fell down eventually. Then even more of a mess. But uh, groundhogs had dug out the old, you know, stone foundation and everything. And, and me and some of my friends and my brother were playing firemen, and I lit this big old fire and <laughs> caught the whole barn on fire, and away it went. Oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> wow. So, you know, I got in a little bit of trouble, but like you said, Dad wasn't all that mad. Well, that explains why you're doing these these six and twenty five acre fires now. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, at the uh, next spring, like I said, uh, we're probably going to have one of the biggest spring burns that we've had in, in a long time. We're going to burn most of this farm. We're going to burn it. Um, and wow, and, that's uh, so crazy to me. That's I mean, I, I know I see the advantages for it, and maybe you can go into. What are some of the advantages? But I guess first, like, how do you how do you organize that? Is it just you and your brother out there, or like, do you have twenty five people, or do you have fire department, or how does that work? Well, you know, you can you can you can uh, get a hold of the fire department we have, um, done, and they'll help you uh, do a controlled burn, and they'll do it as, as like a training exercise. Okay. And um, but we we've, we've got enough, you know, uh, friends that have, we've invited to to come over to pheasant hunt. Usually, uh, they're they're uh, pretty uh, Johnny on the spot when we say, hey, we're having a burn. We need some help. There you if go. you want to pheasant hunt here, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I get it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, we've, I, I, like I said before, I'd rather have, uh, you know, 20 guys standing around doing nothing than not enough people standing around, you know, here when something, you know, because we have. We've, we've had wind come up and it'll jump a fire break and, and it's just uh, the wind, wind will uh, change direction on you and, and, uh, It'll, it, it's definitely got away from us a couple of times. Um, we've only actually had to call the fire department once, though. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What happened there? Jumped the it fire just, break? Uh, it, it just jumped the fire break, yep. The, we started it on the downwind side, and then you, what you do is you let it kind of eat, you know, uh, into the wind. And then uh, once it gets, uh, I think they say, uh, once it gets three times the height of the flame, away from your fire break. Then you can go on the upwind side and start it there and let it go back in. Okay. Um, well, um, we were down on a co- in a corner. Was, that that was the main problem. And we were in a corner, and the wind was uh, uh, coming out of one direction, and we kind of started it. And, well, and there was a lot of fuel, uh, a lot of fuel. And so we started it, and then the wind switched, and then it just, that fuel just whipped up, and it just, started picking up, you know, the embers and everything, and, and part of it, you know, uh, you know, just like when you're burning trash, you'll see it, you know, little pieces fly up, you know, yep. and, and uh, well, you know, there was hundreds of these little pieces of grass that were listening into the air and then going across the fire break and, and dropping into the other side, and, and unfortunately, uh, it wasn't a big deal. The neighbor wasn't mad, but it was one of the neighbors that burned across his field. <laughs> so he was like, Sorry about Need to be burned anyway, so he wasn't he wasn't mad, and uh, so well, we still offered to you know pay him for it and everything. But uh, oh wow, um, it's it, it, like I said, it wasn't. He's he's kind of a naturalist. Uh, he likes to he, he's bought this land and he's kind of just let it grow. And okay. Done anything with it. So um, no hey, one thing that. that I could one thing I should uh, after we burn these CRP fields, <laughs> that's a good time to look for sheds. Oh yeah. 
because we have actually found quite a few out there in, in different years. Um, well, you think and, about uh, it, it's got to be impossible to find in the CRP. I mean, I wouldn't, oh, even, yeah. I wouldn't even try. You're looking, yeah, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. I mean, yeah. you can walk the paths and stuff, and, and there's a few that crisscross and stuff, and you, you can try and stay, but you don't know where he's betting, you know, and, and uh, it's just almost impossible. But, you know, like I said, every third year, you burn the field off, and you might find the shed to a, a buck. You know, actually, uh, we did find a shed to a buck that uh, the neighbor had killed uh, the year before. So we found a shed that had been out there for two years, and it might have chewed up a little bit. But uh, usually when it's in that grass, it's kind of hung up a little bit high, and uh-huh. it kind of keeps the mice away from it. So, but like I said, it was chewed up a little bit, but it was cool that we were able to, you know, have a shed that uh, off a buck that the, the neighbor had killed, and we gave it to him. So he was, oh, very was kind cool. Of, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're when you're done, what other advantages does that offer the the cover the the habitat the pheasants when when it starts to regrow? I mean, you see where there's wildfires and everything. That I mean, even on the side of the road, I think I passed an area between here and Lansing, or maybe here in Grand Rapids the other day, where a car lit on fire in the ditch, and mm-hmm. what was once a black mark is now a neon green, looks like a food plot <laughs> on the side of the highway. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's a huge advantage. You know, you get all this new, lush regrowth, and, um, you know, out west in, in Kansas, uh, when we were out there turkey hunting one year, uh, uh, they, they burned through this woods. And um, I'm having trouble. I want to burn my neighbor's woods, and I'm having trouble convincing him. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, um, they burned this wood lot. Well, then that fall, um, I mean, the guy I was with, we, we before we left, we, we booked a, a bow hunt. So we went back in the fall, and, and this woods was awesome. It was just stuff was green. It was growing everywhere. There was browse everywhere. And and uh, the deer were very hard to pattern. Ended up not killing anything. But anyway, so you come back to Michigan and we, and we burn these fields, and and it just comes back even more green, and and uh, you know you get all these new new plant growth and everything. And and uh, now especially if you go out there and disc it a little bit and uh, kind of work the soil up, and that's what we're going to do next spring here. We're going to work the soil up a good bit, and that's going to create a lot more of the of the uh, broad leaves and the forbs and stuff are going to bring those into, uh, you know, um, back up instead of just having a straight, you know, more of a, a grass field that's going to create, you know, um, uh, more of a diversity. And, and that's what your deer are out there eating, you know, in the spring. They, they just hammer these CRP fields. The bucks are just all around these CRP fields. And they hardly yeah. ever pick up their head. And that's what they're eating. They're eating, you know, the broad leaves. You know, because deer don't eat grass. And might a little bit, but it's not high in a diet. So and you get all these little, you know, little sprouts and stuff, and that's the deer just out there pounding. Now, are you allowed to do that to your CRP? Yeah. It, it's it's not written into your contract when you sign up in the CRP, but it is something that you can, if you feel that uh, it's something that you need to do, it is okay. something that you can, you can. And, and I had uh, Al Stewart. Is uh, the um, Michigan's uh, upland game biologist for the uh, Michigan DNR, and I had him uh, write me a letter of recommendation to the ag office here in Eaton County, and then also a, a friend of mine that I do quite a bit of hunting, uh, uh, Chuck Elzinga. He's a uh, a teacher professor up at Michigan State, and he teaches um, 
biology classes and stuff. And, and so he also wrote me a letter and, and, um, so I got it approved and, and, uh, we were actually supposed to do it this past spring, but you know, this past spring was weird and we just weren't able to burn and we really didn't get anything done this spring. It was, it was really kind of sad. <laughs> but anyway, so this next spring is, is when we're, uh, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to really give this farm a makeover and, and what we're trying to accomplish there is to, uh, get a lot more dirt turned over and uh, open up these fields a little bit because um, there's there's too much grass out there in some, of, in some of these fields in my nesting cover. And there's too much of a mat. And like I talked about earlier, you know, these baby chicks can't get through there. Okay. They can't get that mat. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I want to open this up and kill some of that grass back and get more dirt turned over and, and make it to where, they, you know, and, and then this will get more your uh, – Goldenrod and, and some of your a lot of your flowers you'll get to reseed uh, you know your purple cone flower and yellow cone flower name a couple of them and oh, they'll uh, reseed themselves and and uh, you'll have a lot more uh, stuff like that and then the flowers obviously bring in bugs and more bugs or more what your chicks need and your and you know your pheasants will hopefully do better <laughs> you might you might kind of have a year there where, you know, you might kind of set it back a little bit, but for the greater good, you get, you got to give up something. So Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, introducing all that goldenrod and forbs back into the, the, the grass, the deer are going to go nuts more now too. I mean, it's really a win-win. Yeah. Yep. On uh, one of the Facebook pages the other day, a guy was asking about, you know, whether he should spray his switchgrass, uh, um, with, uh, two, four D. And I'm like, well, why would you want to do that? That's what the deer are eating. Well, I didn't really understand it. It was more of a, a you know, um, something he was trying to put down for a visual barrier. And okay. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. But by the time you're really going to use it for a visual barrier, the weeds that you were going to kill, they'll be really not something deer want to eat anyway. So I, I don't. I don't like to spray a lot of 2,4-D because a lot of the stuff that that stuff kills is the stuff your deer eats. <laughs> so, now, is, and 2,4-D, uh, is that a broadleaf herbicide? It's a broadleaf killer, yeah. Okay. It's a broadleaf, you know, it'll kill your dandelions and everything. Now, don't get me wrong, I spray it on my lawn, you know. <laughs> yeah, but deer, yeah, I mean, no, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, a lot of people see these weeds and they think, you know, oh, they're ruining my food plot and, and this and that, and really, I mean, do you like variety? And those are some of the, the higher protein level exactly. items, and yeah. they, I mean, they're naturally growing, and I mean, not all of them are desirable, so I mean, I can kind of see how how somebody would get under that impression, but at the same time, you just have a, a grown-up food plot where you got everything you want to plant in there, but you also have some random stuff growing. I mean, deer are okay with that. They don't need it to look like yeah. a, a fairway, you sure. know? No, no. You know, that little ragweed that's, that's shooting up, that's two or three inches out of the ground, that's 32% protein. Wow. You know? um, that, uh, that little rag, that's, that's what's coming up in a lot of these uh, wheat fields, right, after the farmers take the wheat off, and within a week or so, you'll see that little little ragweed coming up out there. Well, the deer just, you know, they just come into them, you know, people are like, well, what are they eating, you know, waste grain? No, they're out there eating that little ragweed, you know, yep. that's, you know that's what they're after. So it's a great place to go glass for bucks. Um, you know, like I said, within 10 to 14 days after a farmer takes out the wheat, you know, them, them wheat stubble fields are, 
or where you want to go in glass because that's that's where the big boys are going to be hanging out. Oh man, well, I don't know that either. Jeez, um, no, that's that's all awesome information, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to cover on on the burn. Did I did I miss anything besides? Uh, you know, I'm just too scared to try one. If I wasn't such a pyro, I'd be scared too. But uh, I just love to see stuff burn. So um, I, uh, the biggest thing is just get, get your fire breaks in order. And um, now our Eaton County Pheasant Forever has uh, water packs that, uh, you know, that are available. Um, uh, you know, you just got to um, sign them out and, and uh, I don't know about Jackson County or uh, I think, I'm pretty sure Clinton County does. Uh, but a lot of guys have sprayers for the back of their uh, quad to spray food pots. A lot yeah. of guys have those. Um, that works really good. If you use the wand on that, and, and um, you can put out a lot of fire with just a little bit of, you know, 25 gallons of water in that. Oh, uh, good tip, Jim. You'd be really, really surprised. Um, luckily for us, you know, my brother, you know, running the farm here too, he's got a big, you know, uh, I don't want that sprayer. It's hundred gallon sprayer or something, you know, and so we uh we just run a run a separate hose off the off the pump for that and, and uh you know <laughs> so um but if everything goes well, you really shouldn't need to do that. <laughs> you really <Yeah. laughs> but uh but just in case you do, you always want to have enough water there to to uh make sure if something does happen to get away from you. So um I think that uh should cover the burns, uh, you know, make yeah, good fire breaks and, and a lot of water and a lot of help, you know. Okay. Um, and uh, don't be in a, don't be in a great big hurry, you know. Uh, you can you you know I usually tell people you know hey plan on being here all day because yeah. uh, yeah. you know we're gonna we're gonna you know burn these fields and we're gonna um, and and also one other thing about letting it now if you want a good hot burn you you let it eat you know into the wind all the way across the field. If you want a really good hot burn, um, if uh, you just want to get it done, you can go on the upland side, and, and uh, once you get your back burned a little bit, you know, away from your fire break, uh, like I said, about two or three times, I think they say, the height of the flame, and then uh, then just go up the upland side, and it'll be out in a few minutes. I mean, okay. you, know, you can burn, you can burn field in no time. So, and the first time is a little bit freaky. I, I, I get it. You know, I've, I've helped a lot of people burn their first ones, and. And uh, now I just see pictures on Facebook, you know, them guys that burn. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, oh, good. He's doing it by himself now. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very happy to know that uh, you are possibly out for rent on a first-time oh, yeah. burn. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know yeah, you're not, probably, huh? yeah, you're not too far from my property uh, where you're at. No. But, no, that, no, that's very cool of you to, to help out. I, uh, I don't know if you saw the – recent QGMA article, I believe it was maybe yesterday, about what they call um, bow range burning, where they do a little 30 by 30 burn, like next to next to your tree stand. I saw that, and I and I, and I I actually saved it to my phone. I didn't have time to read it right then, but I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. I don't want to have to, uh, have to do that. No. I honestly um, haven't read it yet either. I saw um, Jim Ward shared it on Facebook earlier today. I'm like, shoot, okay. I should talk to Jim about that when I talk to him tonight so um I, I yeah i mean it makes sense but it's just like uh it's very interesting i never heard that but those guys at msu were coming up with all kinds of cool stuff yeah yeah and that's mississippi state university not not michigan correct know? so this, correct. You know, <laughs> and now that you say that it, it reminded me um of course uh everybody knows or a lot of people know who anna 
Anna Mitterling is. Oh, um, I know Anna well. Was, uh, not well, but I do know her. I met her a few times. Yep. Yep. So she was out here, and she wrote an article on on a controlled burn, and she was out here on the farm. She wrote an article article for Quality Whitetails. I I don't remember. It was it's been a couple of years, but there's an article about um, my dad's farm here and us doing a controlled burn in Quality Whitetails. You could probably look it up. I'm gonna try to look that up, and I'll share it on the page yeah. for everybody. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, you know, I I kind of forgot about it. So you said that. So, uh, oh, that's you know. just a great, great organization, QDMA, and great, uh, great magazine. And Anna's a great gal, uh, very smart. And hey, I'd love to read that article. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, um, you know, awesome. forever, you know, too. Is it just there's uh, there's uh, you know, I I often tell people I'm like there's there's two organizations, you know, that you you have to belong to, and that's Buzzing Forever and QDM. And you know they're they're hand in hand. The habitat is there. It overlaps. It, it's good for both of them. And you know it, I, I belong to you know DU and and uh, you know, I I should belong to the rough grouse. But I mean uh, the DU, uh, Trevor and QDM is, is you know the, the, that's what we do. That's what we hunt. So. No, that's awesome. That's, I think that's a, a good a good comment there to make. I, I didn't realize there was so much overlapping, and I'm going to have to join me uh, a Pheasants Forever uh, area as well. Um, no, that's that's awesome. Uh, I, I think we covered the burn side of things pretty good. The Pretty much the last thing I wanted to, to talk to you about was um, yeah, you when I first met you, you were presenting at a QDM co-op Actually, that's where I first met Anna too. Now that now that I think about it, um, I think, a, a QEM yeah. co-op meeting down there in uh, Jackson County, and you yeah. were talking about some deer, some big old bucks that use your farm. And I'd like to, you know, I, I'm sure most, if not everybody who listens to this podcast, is a is a deer hunter of some sort or another. And I mean, you guys are are really doing well on the deer hunting over there. So I wanted to kind of maybe wrap it up with, with maybe a deer story or two. It seems like you're giving all the big bucks to your brother, or how does that work? I mean, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. killing some he's, studs. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely uh, been in the right spot the last couple of years. Um, uh, I've still got him beat for the for the biggest one, though. So, okay. Uh, but last year he killed one. Um, oh, he called him... Uh, uh, one-eyed Willie, and he only had one eye, obviously. For, um, but one-eyed Willie from the Goonies, the uh, movie Goonies. Oh, yeah. We grew up watching that, and, and uh, the pirate and everything. So, and he was just a really cool buck. Uh, he had uh, he had split brows. He was a mainframe ten. He had split brows, and he actually had a drop time. And but he broke that off, and he broke one of his split splits off on one of his brows. So he probably broke off about ten inches of antlers. And he still scored um, like 140 something. I don't remember. He's just had him scored the other day, and I honestly don't remember what he scored. Wow. Um, he was a heck of a deer. Um, just, just an awesome, awesome animal. And uh, got pictures of him for a couple of years. Uh, now, the year before, my brother killed a buck that uh, scored 155. Jeez. And just absolute stud, you know, um, 10 point is a mainframe 10, and, and then he had a split brow on one side. Now, the cool thing about that split brow 
is we have pictures of him going all the way back to two and a half. Um, we think he was at least four and a half. Uh, it's, he's probably four and a half. He could have been five and a half when, when, uh, when my brother killed him. But, um, so we got pictures of him going back to a year and a half old, uh, you know, um, with that split brow. It just, it was just, uh, and, and he was an eight point that I should point that out too. He didn't have G4s at all. I mean, so he was basically, you know, a nine point. And then, uh, the next year he was, uh, nine point again, but you kind of tell where he was wanting to put on some G4s. And then the next year he, he put on the G4s and, and then the following year when my brother killed him, well, that's when he, you know, had about four inch, you know, G4s and, and nine inch brow tines and, and, you know, six inch bases and just an absolute stud, you know, and the buck that, uh, the buck that, you know, that dreams are made of, you know, I mean, people pay a lot of money to, to go places to shoot 150 inch bucks and we're growing them, you know, right here. Um, oh, that's amazing. And, uh, now, now if you go back. I think I'm, I'm, I'm stalking your Facebook right now. And this was the one you said a split brow time. Yes. And a, I see where the busted, the busted, uh, drop was on it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you see where that uh, that uh, eye is kind of foggy. I do. Yeah, almost yeah. like a walleye looking yeah. eye. Yep, yep. I've got pictures of him. I can trace it almost to the day that he lost that eye. Oh, and wow. honestly, obviously, I have no no facts to back this up. I have no idea. But <laughs> I really think I really think that the buck my brother killed the year before the one fifty five is the one that poked his eye out. Okay. I, I Obviously, I don't know that, but I, I've got them going through in front of my ca- one of my cameras within seconds of each other. I mean, the camera barely had time to reset. And I honestly think that they got in a fight, and he broke, you know, part of uh, Willie's antler, and, um, and then he poked his eye out. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, this Willie deer, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this woolly deer is a pretty big deer, a really big deer for Michigan, and to yeah. have his to have him get his butt kicked and his eye poked out and his antler broke, I mean, you got to have a big buck to do that, right? So exactly. I so mean. you know, the year before, if he'd have been, you know, let's say, if we got the time right, he would, he'd been four and a half, and then the buck my brother killed that year would have been five and a half. Okay. You know? Wow. And he, he, and I don't remember what he field dressed, but he field dressed over 200 pounds. Um, oh, Lord. So he was an absolute stud. So, but well, then yeah, the 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 next one and possibly the last one, unless you want to keep telling your stories, um, I want to hear about your your big boy. This is probably where I first maybe saw you on Facebook or something when maybe this picture was floating around. You killed a, a real hammer out there. Um, how yeah. long ago was that? It was 2009. Okay. Well, 2009. And, um, uh, it was a buck that, uh, we, we, we didn't really have a name for him or anything. Uh, but, uh, we, we knew that he was out here. Um, we, uh, I'd seen him for, uh, several years. Uh, two years before I killed him, um, I saw him come onto the farm, uh, opening morning. And I, uh, put my dad in a stand very close to where I saw him go into one of these switchgrass fields. And I, uh, told my dad, I said, you stay there 
and it was it was just a, a stand though. It, there was no, it wasn't a box blind or anything, and so it was cold and windy. And long story short, my dad gets down and goes back to the house. And then right at dark, this buck comes walking out. And I'm like, you know, are you gonna shoot? You know, what's going on? <laughs> and at that right then, he was he was this huge eight point, probably about a one fifty class eight point. Oh man, that's a big eight. And oh, he was just an absolute stud. And um, so then the next year. I don't. I don't think we saw him at all. Um, maybe a couple of sightings. I know I don't. I don't think I got any picture of him. But in 2009, in the spring, um, I filmed him right out my the back of my house. <laughs> he was walking up across the field here, and uh, so I went out and videoed him in in June, and then I never saw him again until uh, the 16th of November um, when I when I killed him. Um, but he ended up uh, scoring 173. Oh my goodness! And, uh, yeah, he was uh, mainframe 10 with uh, split brows and and then um, uh, a kicker off his uh, G2. So um, he had which, 13. Uh, which side G2 was that kicker on? On his right side. All right, this sure. one's not. Wait, right, no, this isn't a 170. Man, you got some nice bucks on here. Yeah, no, that I mean, but 170 in Michigan. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. On yeah, your own farm, yeah. on your own ground. That's so awesome. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I killed another. Well, you know, I mean, I killed that one, and, and guys are like, "Well, what are you gonna kill now?" You know, I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill the first four and a half year old or 140 <laughs> inch buck that comes by me." I mean, that's all day long. Kill. I mean, yep. it's just I'm not. You know, you don't pass up. You know, uh, now. It, most guys, I tell them, you get a buck to three and a half, you you better shoot him. You know, um, now there there's there's quite a few people around here, around us and our co-op, but our co-op is well established. It's been here since you know um, in the early nineties, when uh, ninety one, ninety two, somewhere in there, when when Jeff and I, you know, started passing up little bucks and convinced the neighbors, you know, a couple of them, you know, and then and then so here we are, you know, but you know we've got a great thing going here so yeah we pass up you know three and a half year bucks and, and but most people i just you know unless you've got a lot of cooperation and, and, and you've got a lot of people on board you probably better shoot a three and a half year buck um uh but on the other hand that's buck you really want to let go i mean it's just he's he's a great deer i mean he's he's generally somewhere around 130 inches yeah. But boy, one one more year, he makes it to four and a half, and then he makes it to five and a half. You know, now you're talking one fifty, one sixty, and he's just an absolute stud. You know, um, but I've got I've got the first two and a half year old buck I killed in '95 down here yeah. mounted on my wall. It's 125 inch eight point. You know, um, and that's a nice probably, two year old. Oh, exactly. It was it was a stud. You know, two two and a half year old buck. It was the first bite. When we started passing them up in '91. And I went four years, and I'd killed bucks every year up until then. And um, you know, then I went a few years, and then I I killed that one, you know, and I, and, and still just just very, super proud of that buck. I mean, just two and a half year old, it was it was awesome. He's he's a great deer, um, but you know now um, now I'd still let my wife or kids shoot that deer, but yeah. I personally you know personally wouldn't. Um, but uh, you know that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a four and a half year old deer or, or 140 or, or better. And, and I killed eight point deer uh, just four years ago, five years ago now. I think uh, it was it was a nice buck. Um, 
That's what he was. He was four and a half years old, and he was 137 or something like that, 136 or something. Yeah, I mean, you you have some some pretty high standards, and I admire that. I'm not to that stage uh, in my life yet. Um, I'd like to be someday, hopefully, but, you know, with with your co-op around you, that – that helps a lot. Um, well, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of neighbors down here, and, and a lot of these a lot of these neighbors have, have the same caliber of bucks that I've got on their walls. Right. They've got they've got the two and a half they, on their wall. They've got the three and a half. You know, and and that's what it takes for a lot of guys. And guys like you, you know, I'm, that's what I'm telling you. If you haven't killed a two and a half year old buck, then you kill a two and a half year old buck. Yep. Yep. If you if you haven't killed a three and a half year old buck, then you kill a three and a half year old buck. Yeah, you know, don't your standard is is what you, is yours, you know, and, and nobody nobody should fault you for for shooting a deer, you know. I mean, my my daughter just killed her first buck um, two years ago, three years three years ago, and is a five point, yeah. and it's it's awesome. I <laughs> mean, she was thrilled to death, and and um, just awesome buck, you know. On the other hand, my stepson. His first buck was 122 inch nine point. <laughs> just had to be the first buck that came in. Yep, uh, I remember you telling uh, that story at the co-op meeting. Yep, yo, yo, yep. He, he was he was a lucky little guy. So, um, you know, um, I did put a little little rain on him uh, for a couple of years, uh, and uh, he shot a lot of does. Well, he's your and, son-in-law. Um, I mean, you have to. Oh, my stepson. Oh, I'm stepson. sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's my that's my stepson, and, and uh, I like I, I didn't. I didn't tell him he couldn't shoot a buck. I just said, well, now that you've already jumped for that caliber, you know, you I want you to shoot one at least that, at least a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. And, and he didn't get the opportunity. And, and then last, the last year he could hunt during, during the, in the youth season, um, I gave him the green light. I'm like, shoot whatever you want. And, of course, now he's, you know, 19. And, and uh, you know, now he's, he's like, nah, unless I can put it on the wall, I don't want to shoot it. But, right. you know. He practice he practices on those every year. You know, and, well, that's uh, awesome. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's but, just it's just the the steps that every hunter goes through. I mean, I don't shoot a buck now, or at least I don't try to, unless it's going to go on the wall. Um, and like I I think my deer I shot last year, first deer on my small property uh, in our co op, I had ten scoreable points and. I want to say he's three and a half, but he might have been a, a badass two-year-old. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to go pick him up tomorrow from my taxidermist, so I'm really excited about that. But uh, oh, yeah. good you know, for you. Yeah, we, we're in a co-op as well. You know, you know, Springport. Um, we're kind of in the the upper end of it. Uh, maybe more of an outlier, but all my neighbors practice, and unfortunately, the the neighbors outside of our neighbors, um, from what I've learned talking to my my immediate neighbor a lot of our two-year-olds were uh like like the smaller two-year-olds that were obviously two um you know little eight points and whatnot those were apparently we lost like five six seven of them so Mm -hmm. i'm still i'm still wondering how this year is going to shake out um but then you know you're you're shoot 12 15 miles away and you got 170s hitting the dirt so i don't know what to think right now (laughs) <laughs> well, last year was it was also a first for us. So my my brother, you know, killed that really good buck, and yeah. then we we actually had another buck in here that I um I hunted very hard. <laughs> I didn't okay. I didn't bow hunt at all, 
um, early on, and because I knew that buck that my brother had you know killed was in here, so I didn't really want to do anything to mess him up. Plus, I was I was going pheasant hunting and stuff, and so um, you know we get we get through, and, and Jeff you know kills Willie, and and on opening day, and then all of a sudden you know uh, this other buck shows up, and I call him uh, two times because I've actually only known him to be on this farm two times. <laughs> and you and, saw him uh, on camera, or you saw him from the I stand? I saw him on camera, yep, okay. I saw him on, on well, I, I got him on camera about, yes, my brother saw him. My brother killed Willie on opening day. On the, like, the third day of gun season, my brother's sitting in the blind with my dad and his daughters, and um, they're going to shoot a doe. And these does start coming through, well, one of them turns and looks back, and my brother said, well, just hold on a second. Let's see what's coming out. And then this, this guy walks out. And uh, I've got his shed from two years ago. So that was the first time. And then again this year, or, you know, last year, uh, he was on the farm. So um, and then he actually stayed. Now, I, I know that he kind of moved north in the section north of us, but I, I think that they got to hunting him really hard and put too much pressure on him, and then he came back to where nobody had bothered him before. Uh, and funny how that works. He, he just walks out in front of my brother. Of course, you know, um, I'm not a big fan of uh, the one-buck rule in Michigan, um, but I do only buy one-buck tag. And my really? does okay. the same. So, so he was sitting in a blind <laughs> with his buck tag already on Willie. <laughs> My dad didn't have a tag. So here comes this 160-class buck come walking out of the sanctuary into the food plot, and then they're sitting there. You know? Oh, my gosh. And, and my brother's like, I'm like, you didn't think to call me, maybe? He's like, yeah, well, my phone was dead, too. I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> um, actually, I, I started hunting him pretty hard then, just like, well, you better get back there. You know? So I didn't hunt him during gun season. Um, but on the third day of muzzleloader season, I'm in a different blind for a different wind direction, and I saw him. But it was it was uh, it was real close to dark, and it was 210 yards. Oh man, I'm not. That's a poke. That yeah, I'm just not that good. A, you know, I'm just I don't practice enough. You know, at that long range, and and I'm just uh, so. And honestly, it was cold, and he was coming into that food plot. And I thought I'd see him again. Yeah, true. And uh, you know, it was uh, just there's a lot of muzzleloader season left, and I uh, I said I did see him one more time, but um, it was in the morning, and uh, and I, I knew it was him. And again, you know, he was uh, he was standing out in the uh, in the food plot, and when I slid into my blind that morning and opened up, the, you know, use the windows open, you know, and got the the blinds off of them and. And, uh, and I was like, okay, there's deer already in the food plot here. And, and I'm like, and that deer right there is huge. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, you know, it's still, he's 150 yards away then. And, uh, and he just kind of eased off. And, and then um, uh, and then he walks, the, the path he was on, he walked in front of one of my cameras. That's, that's mainly the reason I know it was him. It was okay. still dark. It was still dark. I mean, it's still... I just uh, I just gotta assume that that they, like I said it was it was a huge deer <laughs> and uh, oh boy I got some great pictures of him and and uh, looked all over for his sheds this spring and maybe we'll find him you know 
the spring when we when we uh, burn off everything. But uh, now the sanctuary there that he goes into, we only go in that you know um, one time a year. We'll go in there in the spring, um, sometimes twice, but usually only once when we know all the bucks are pretty much shed. And like I said, we planted it, so everything is in rows. So we'll just line up and we take we walk every row and look for sheds and. And this spring we found three in there. So, but none off the big guy. <laughs> so, um, I don't know where the big boys drop them, but you can't seem to find the, you know, sheds off the really good bucks like that. I don't know. I don't know why, but we just don't. Yeah, I bet you might have some luck when you burn that field, like you were saying. I mean, they could be out yeah. in that. So that's. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it sounds like you're doing everything right, though, Jim. I mean, hats off to you for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, we uh, we try. We try and, you know, um, try and have everything, you know. I want my cake and I want to eat it too, you know. Yeah, so we, yep. we, we doesn't hunt around the outside edges and and, uh, and then deer hunt in the middle. Very <laughs> so, nice. Very nice. And, and my neighbors, you know, right next to us, uh, Todd McLean and I, uh, I do a lot of, of uh, habitat work in his woods. Uh, it's a 35-acre woodlot. It's the largest woodlot on this section and um i do a lot of my hinge cutting in there and, and a lot of people and that's the woods i'd like to burn down to sometime or burn you know and because uh, I, I i think it would i think it would i think you'd burn all that all that leaf you know all that litter you know uh in there and i think you'd get a lot more growth of everything you know coming up oh you would 100 percent. I, 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 I think would. so yeah yeah you know people are People, you know, sometimes I uh, I just had a guy over here the other day and, and a neighbor that, uh, and I'm like, well, let's go over here in Todd's Woods and I'll show you. And he's like, you do all this work over in Todd's Woods? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, you know. The woods on my dad's farm is pastured. The, the cattle can run in there, you know. So it's not really worth, you know, doing hinge cutting and everything in there. It's, uh, you know, the cattle just wreck it. So Todd's Woods, there's nothing there. So I, I do a lot of uh, my habitat work in his, you know. And, you know, so these guys, you know, they'll, uh, I can't believe you do all this work here. Yeah, well, you know, um, he lets me. <laughs> and uh, what helps him, you know, helps me, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a great situation, you know. Um, so. Hey, neighbors working with neighbors is, I mean, that's the most important thing, especially for yeah. a lot of people. A lot of our listeners are small, smaller property owners than that. Um I, I consider your property really big, but maybe some other people in different states may consider that even small. But uh, many of the people who listen to this have, um, I guess, micro properties, and I mean, you really gotta. If you can, if you can work with your neighbors, you're way better off than you know, button heads and fighting and hunting each other's fence lines and this and that. I mean, it just just goes to show that working with your neighbors really is a big deal. There's there's three neighbors up the road here that each have. Um uh, well, there's four of them, but the one lady, <laughs> I told him, I said, it, it, it was 40 acres, and um, there's uh, three tens, and, well, there's four tens, and, but the one lady, uh, she doesn't let anybody hunt her ground. So I told him, guys, I'm like, that's not a big deal. There's your sanctuary right there. So you've got a sanctuary established. Now, you know, tie in all your property and build your food plots, and, you know, and they went from, uh, yeah, they went from every each one of them basically killing, you know, a year and a half old buck and sometimes two off of 10 acres, 
and uh, now they'll kill, you know, well, the one killed a three-and-a-half-year-old buck in the 135-inch buck uh, a couple years ago now. But, you know, so here, here's, you know, you had three guys that, that uh, didn't really know each other, and they finally kind of got together, and then they started working on food plots and habitat, and they got their sanctuary on this other lady's property. You know, that's where the deer can go and, and not smell anybody or have anybody mess with them. And, you know, so they build their properties up together and, and, uh, you know, one of them harvests a stud buck and, and, you know, they're all thrilled. It, it, yeah, they don't all kill a buck anymore, you know, but the one buck, you know, that, that they did, and they'd kill a couple two and a half year old bucks up until then and, uh, each and, and, um, so then the one guy killed an absolute stud there a couple of years ago and, and it just got them all fired up even more, you know, holy crap, we, we can, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I tried to tell you that 20 years ago, but <laughs> it, took, it took you, it took you a few years to figure out that, oh yeah, well, you know, cause the smaller guy is the guy that can benefit the most from a co-op. Oh, for he sure. can't, he can't have everything on his property. He can't have a farm, you know, like we're fortunate enough to have, to have a water source, the food source, the bedding source, the sanctuary. Everything's here. I, there's nothing that the deer really needs to leave this farm for, although they do. You know, they, they, there's no there's no magic fence around this farm, you know, that, that's keeping deer here. But I can do everything I can to make them want to stay here. But... On 10 acres or 15 like yours, it, it's very difficult. You, you yep. can try, and, and uh, but these are the guys that, that can benefit the most. You know, the guy with the 80 acres, you know, that's next to him, you know, you do nothing but help each other out. I mean, that's just it's just a great thing about co-ops and stuff, you know. And people will have asked me before about our co-op, you know, and, and um, you know, no, I don't have any written rules, you know, if, if somebody happened to break a rule, you know, then that just makes people mad, you know, and, and I've, I've gotten phone calls before. Well, so-and-so, they said they were doing it and they, they shot this deer and I know it ran over there and, and, and so I would generally try and be pretty diplomatic about it, you know, and maybe run into them at the grocery store or something, you know, rather than just call them, hey, so-and-so said you killed a buck like you that for. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I run into, you know, uh, one neighbor especially, and I said, hey, I said, uh, you guys get anything? He says, yeah, he says, uh, my, uh, my brother's kid was out, and, um, he never killed a deer before, and, and this buck come in, and, and we shot it, and he shot it. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, cool, good for him, you know, first buck? And he said, yeah, yeah, first buck, and, you know, and then the neighbor told me, he says, yeah, the little seven point, he walked right by me, and he run over there, and he shot him, and, and, uh, so then I go back to the neighbor, I go, hey, uh, it's his brother's, you know, boys, you know, it's his, you know, it's his first buck, you know, and he's like, oh, 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 all right. Yeah, like, no, different like, too. It, it, it ain't, it ain't the end of the world, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, so stuff, I, you know, I mean, you know, around this farm right here, you know, we've, We've been pretty fortunate to. I, I had a friend of mine that lost a stud buck in the road, um, just a 150 class buck, and he'd been following, had his sheds, and and then uh, um, what was worse is the guy even took the deer. He's been the, the wife hit it, 
And then, and then when the husband showed up there, he was like, oh, no, we want that deer. And so he didn't even get to keep the deer. But he oh, kind of no. had the right, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of wrong. I'm like, oh, man, that's like so much. The guy would at least, you know, let you have the deer, you know. And uh, But he had the antlers, you know, for a couple of years. And, and uh, fortunately for us, you know, we haven't lost anything to the road yet, knock on wood. Yeah, know? right. And EHV kind of kicked us in the in the ass there a few years ago, as it, as it did everybody. Yeah. Um, and uh, we went from, you know, killing 10 to 15 does off this section, you know, every year to none. And uh, last year we killed uh, about seven does off this farm, and, and this year we're going to have to kill at least that many because uh, um, it's hard to believe, but we're having problems, you know, growing food plots. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's a, that's a telltale sign, yeah. If you're... No management is going to take uh, center stage this, this fall. Oh, there so, you go. Very cool. Well, Jim, I want to be uh, respectful of your time. Um, I I don't want to keep you too long. Is there anything else that you want to cover tonight on uh, what we've discussed so far? I don't think so. I think we've uh, we kind of um, you know uh, talked about everything. Um, You know, one thing I will too I'll say is um, my daughter's uh, first kill was a squirrel. In fact, two of my daughters, two of my daughters, their first kill was a squirrel. So if you want to get your kids in hunting, um, don't ignore the small game. Um, oh, well, in, in that sense, I, I do a lot, like I said, I do a lot of my uh, habitat work on my neighbors in Toswood. Well, I, I do a lot of work on rabbit habitat. And let me touch on that real quick. Yeah. Uh, now, oh, awesome. So I bring, I, I work a lot on rabbit habitat and for, for two reasons. Um, because Todd has four kids, and I have my stepson and my daughter, and we like to rabbit hunt, and, and we do a lot of rabbit hunting. But here's the other thing. Um, you can't drive. There's a couple mold paths across this farm, and, and you get back in there, and there's rabbits everywhere, everywhere. Okay, so, but you've got this coyote out there, and he's looking for supper. So, um, but I've got all this rabbit habitat out there. Now, I got no documentation. I got nothing to back up my theory. But here's my theory. If I can grow enough rabbits out there, this coyote is going to come across a rabbit first before he comes across my fawn. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, they multiply yeah. like rabbits, so they got to be everywhere then. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's, that's, that's kind of my, that's my theory, is that I just try and create as much rabbit habitat as I can, you know, for to, to enjoy, you know, shooting rabbits. And, uh, like running the beagles and stuff. And, um, uh, and, you know, and then also try and give my coyote something to eat besides my fawns. <laughs> I like it. Um, That's an interesting theory. I've never heard anybody, uh, say that, but I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Um, gonna be a lot more rabbits out there than there are fawns, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, uh, he's, he's a lot more likely to come across a, a rabbit first, or at least keep them occupied, you know, and, and, uh, so hopefully he'll, he'll leave uh he'll leave him you know eat, eat a rabbit first. I don't mind if he eats them so much. <laughs> well, and then the point yeah. you made on the on the squirrels too with your daughters, I didn't think about oh. that. I, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do that. What age were they when they when they did that? Oh, Bella was probably my daughter now, the one that plays softball that you see on Facebook. Uh, she was probably six, okay. seven, and. Uh, we were sitting back in the woods and I had a Ruger 1022, a little scope on it, 
and then we see this squirrel and it's you know running around and climbs up this tree and and she shoots once and and uh and she shoots again and and uh you know of course it's a squirrel that comes around the other side of the tree again you know I said, well there he is again you know just take a shot you know and so i got the little shooting sticks and she's right there and she shoots and this thing falls out of the tree you know and i'm like damn she hit that squirrel we go down there you know and there it is you know and and uh and so we we take it home and and uh she's i got it all on video i got some great video of her you know with that squirrel very cool and just it was in fact the tail off that squirrel is still down in my trophy room that's awesome man that's that's her that's her pope and young tail because that's what she's like dad how big is it I said, man, that's a poking young class tail right there. She goes, that's awesome. I was oh, like, now I'm going to stick your seven-year-old girls on poking young, you know? Poking young squirrels. That's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it got her into hunting, and it got my, you know, my stepson. He loves rabbit hunting with the neighbor boys. And they go back there and kick all the brush piles I've worked on. And, uh, you know, because hinge cutting, you know, for deer and hinge cutting, you know, that uh, that you do for for deer and rabbits is different, you know. Um, I hinge cut, you know, for rabbits that's a lot closer to the ground. Right. And but I still want that tree to stay alive. And what I do then is put pallets underneath of them to hold them up, but also to let that, you know, you know, give a space in there for that rabbit to go in there. That's a good point. And a friend of mine, um, uh, Northern Boiler uh, um, contractor up there in, in uh, Lansing. I went to a scrapyard there one day, and there was a whole bunch of PVC pipe off different jobs and stuff, six and eight inch, you know, different lengths and sizes and 90s and 45s. And, and I said, you know, I said, how much can I have? And he said, you can have anything out of that pile you want. So I loaded the back of my truck in my S10 full of six and eight inch pieces of PVC. And I brought it home, and I put it in these, you know, on the ground there in, in between these pallets and all this stuff. And then I hinge cut all these maple trees on top of it. So I got all these old tunnels and all this stuff, you know, and, and you know, in the winter, last winter there, um, I went in there and uh, jumped up and down on that brush pile, and five rabbits come out of one brush pile. Wow. And it was it was pretty awesome. The boys, the, the shooting commenced right there. It got a little <laughs> dangerous. I, I, I had to chew a little couple of tails on that one now. I'm like, all right, now. This is getting a little dangerous. You guys can't be shooting like that. <laughs> yeah, you're up there jumping on top. Oh my gosh! It was it was sounded like World War One broke out there for a minute. <laughs> it was crazy. Some boys were shooting every direction. It, it, like I said, it was dangerous. <laughs> oh, that's so cool uh, though. That's I mean, was, getting man. kids involved like that, and I mean the rabbits yep. and, and the squirrels. Yeah, not overlooking the small game. I mean, I I'm trying to remember my first kill was uh, immature mallard. I think so. Oh, that was uh, yep. you know got me into it and. Shoot, yep. I'm, I'm bit now, yep. but um, yep. yeah, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, don't don't uh, yeah don't ignore the small game, you know. And, and uh, like I said, my, the woods on my dad's is, is a little bit different scenario. Uh, you know, it, it's pastured and and but still, you know, there's there's a lot of edge, you know, woods and stuff. You know, that guys can you know just come in and you know sit down on the edge of the kid and you know a little little shotgun or a little rifle and you know. You know, ain't nothing better than a little bushy tail, you know. But, you know, it, it, it's something you see, you know. There's, yep. there's a lot of excitement there, you know. It's, it's, uh, 
you know, my daughter, it prepared my daughter for, to sit in the blind, you know, a couple of years later, you know, and, and not see so much, you know, but once, you know, once we did, we're like, okay, there's some deer, you know. So. Now, I'm going to have to do that this fall. Um, and you don't even have to do it in your really good deer hunting spot, too. You can just go on state, you know, use some of our state land we have here in Michigan or, or oh, in your state and, you know, take yeah. take advantage of that. I mean, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to practice on a squirrel with them, uh, the twins, this year just to get them out in the blind. And, uh, you know, maybe the next couple of years I'll be ready to go after a deer. But they're they're jacked about it. Yeah. Just got to make sure yeah. they they like it when they start killing stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, for sure. You know, got to get them. Got to raise them right. Oh, yeah. You bet. You know. Well, Jim, I appreciate you coming on, sir. I think it's a good time to wrap this up. Um, you know, just I really That's want to thank man. you for your time, and and I really do appreciate that. There's a lot of stuff I learned tonight. Holy cow! Um, yeah. Normally, yeah. I can hold my own in conversation, but not with this stuff. So well, I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. Very. Yeah, very cool. Pretty. Pretty proud of the farm and everything. Uh, um. Uh, actually, uh, the state tracker pheasants forever. Uh, it's been a few years, but they actually had their held their first habitat, state habitat day here at at this farm. Wow! So, I mean, two busloads of people, and I don't know how many trucks and cars all come. Oh, in jeez, man! Yeah, and, uh, I'll have to make yeah. it out sometime and check that farm out. It sounds pretty awesome. It, you know, anytime you want to, you want to, you know, and, and I tell anybody this. You know, any any of your listeners. I mean, you you want to come over and, and you want to see what we're doing. I, I'd be happy to show you. You know, I mean, it just uh, um, just I could easily, you know, I can show you better than I can tell you. And you know, you uh, you want to come over and and uh, we can I take you on a little tour and we can. Um, it's getting a little late now. Uh, and in August here is is about when we. Uh, kind of shut everything down. I, I don't like to do anything. Once in buck shed the velvet, you, you really should be done with anything that you're going to do in the woods or anywhere because um, their whole frame yeah. of mind starts changing when them antlers get hard. And so we're probably pretty much done with, with any. Well, no, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't do it and, this, but, this year. Uh, but maybe in the, in the spring or something, get a oh, yeah. group of guys Absolutely. from the podcast or a bunch of listeners or whomever and get out there and check your place out. That'd be fun. That's that's the best time to go is is uh you know right in spring because you can still see uh you know the last year's scrapes really good yeah uh, the rubs are, you know are still you know you know very visible um that's that's really when I like to be out there um, cool but there's the off chance you might uh, might run into a, a shed or something there, so. yeah you have everybody <laughs> shed hunting for you too it'd be perfect exactly exactly so yeah anytime anytime. Awesome, Jim. Well, thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate your time, and uh, well, keep in touch, me. and good luck. Thank you so much. I know I say that a lot, but I really do mean it for everybody who listens to the podcast, who subscribes and leaves reviews and goes on Facebook and shares our stuff. Uh, I love you guys. That's that's just so nice of you, and, uh, you know, we're having a good time doing this, uh, learning a ton, which is, you know, the goal. This is why we do this, so just keep trying to become better habitat managers um, and, you know, try to put some of this stuff into into practice right now out in the woods. Um, if you want to hear more from us, you can find us at thehabitatpodcast.com. Facebook slash Habitat Podcast is another place. Um, iTunes and every podcast uh, app or place you could listen to them, 
you should be able to search Habitat Podcast and we will pop up. Stitcher, Podbean, etc. So thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. We have another good episode coming next week about timber management. So we're going to keep rolling with some different ideas and, uh, you know, keep up the informative discussion. So thanks. Have a good night and uh, enjoy your woods.